grab your Bible, John chapter 5. Let's read our text together before we sit down. We'll read 1 through 9 of John 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, the blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. All right, you may be seated. Uh, We are um, walking through the book of John, and we have just finished uh, John chapter 4 a couple of weeks ago. And so we're starting in John chapter 5 today. And we, as we just read that text, we encounter the man who had been paralyzed for uh, 38 years. And we're going to see some pretty amazing things in regard to how Christ uh, ministered to him uh, during those days. It's not certain, we'll see next week, if he ever really truly believed. We know that he gets healed uh, today, but Jesus will meet him again next week later in the temple. And we're not totally for sure that he ever really fully put his trust um, in Christ. I believe it's possible, but it's a little bit uncertain as well. John has been painting through the Gospel of John unique portraits of who Jesus is. And he will paint a little bit more of a picture of Jesus as the great physician uh, today. And so we will uh, see that picture, I I believe, really um, at the forefront of our minds today. Not just of physical healing, but also the possibilities of the spiritual healing healing that can come from Christ as well. So let me set the scene and the setting of our story. So look with me again in verse 1 and 2, and let's... Now let's see what's happening here. So after this, there was a feast of the Jews. We're not for sure exactly what feast it is. It's not specified, so it's not a, a huge heart of the, of the story. And so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Uh, likely he's in Galilee. That's where he was in John chapter 4. So he goes to Jerusalem. And verse 2 says, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool. In Aramaic it's called Bethesda and has five roofed colonnades. Let me just tell you where this miracle takes place. And, and, and what's going on here. So let's talk about the Sheep Gate just for a moment. So the location of this is by the Sheep Gate. The animals, the sheep that were brought into Jerusalem for the animal sacrifices uh, under the Jewish uh, religious system, they were raised in Bethlehem. And so they were brought to Jerusalem from Bethlehem. As they were brought into uh, Jerusalem, they would enter in what they called the Sheep Gate. Now, in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1, Nehemiah writes and gives us a little bit more detail about the Sheep Gate. But for us to know, it's near the temple. It's in the northern part of the city. Coming from Bethlehem, they would bring the sheep into the city, and they would be brought to the temple for the animal sacrifices. Now, there is a, all over Jerusalem, there were a number of different pools that you could go to. Some of those were for water for the people who lived inside the city walls. Um, Some of that was for... Uh, cleansing and cooking and, and a number of things. And so uh, in the late 1800s, they were doing some uh, digging in Jerusalem, and they're continuing to do that on a c- 
consistent basis today, but they discovered what they believe was this pool of Bethesda. And what they discovered was um, a pool that had been there and been there for a long time. It was 360 feet long. Now, just to picture that, picture a football field from, from goal line to goal line plus 60 more feet. Um, what they discovered was 130 feet wide. And at some, some points of this pool that was there, it was 75 feet deep. Now, a lot of people originally thought, well, this must be the Pool of Bethesda, but it just simply logically doesn't make sense. If you're an invalid, are you jumping into a pool that is 75 foot deep? No, you're not, because you're not going to be able to get out of it. And so this was likely a pool that was there that they found, but it was not the Pool of Bethesda. Most likely, the Pool of Bethesda was one that we would say, if you go to a public park swimming pool, there's a kiddie pool there. It's 18 inches, two feet deep. It's a place where somebody who was an invalid could get in, but they could also, by their arms, they would be able to pull themselves out or something like that. And so there was a pool that was, that was there. So they found this really big one that I just mentioned, but then they found some other ones. In 1960, about 100 years after they found this initial area in Jerusalem, they discovered what they believed was the pool of Bethesda. And it's interesting, there was a fresco that was painted there on the wall of what they found, and what they found was that there was an angel uh, on this painting that was touching the water, which gives some indication that there had always been a traditional view that there was something kind of mystical and supernatural about um, this pool. And so this is kind of the scene. The, this area called Bethesda means house of mercy. Um, I want you to picture in your minds a pool at a public place that's, that's kind of big. It's the kiddie pool. And I want you to picture hundreds of people gathered around that who can't see they can't walk they can't get up i mean they they are just broken physical people and they are gathered literally everywhere around it and this is what they do every day they stare at the water now over time what happened was there was a tradition that game that, that came along that said that when the water kind of bubbled up, and by the way, um, water just bubbles up from time to time because water holds, you know, oxygen. And so, but somebody began to say, an angel has stirred the water, and if you can get into the water as soon as an angel stirs it, then you could potentially be healed. And so this was the mindset of what was taking place. This had probably been around for a 100 years. You can do a little bit of research back uh, if you know about history, so the Babylonians come, they take Judah, they take them away. Then the Persians come to power. After the Persians, the Greeks come to power, Alexander the Great. After the Greeks, the Roman Empire rises up and takes over. Um, there's a little bit of story about this, maybe dating back to when the Greeks had power and they had taken over um, Jerusalem, that potentially this is kind of where uh, this came from. But I want you to look with me now in verse 3, and let's look at 3 and verse 5, and you'll notice maybe in your Bible that there's not a verse 4 there, and I want to talk about why there's not a verse 4 there. Let's look at verse 3. This will bring us to a picture of looking at the world full of brokenness. So in, in these, in these colonnades around the pool of Bethesda, it lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man, five, says, 
who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Again, this is another picture from John letting us know that the world is really broken and full of broken people who are longing for healing. Before we go on a little further, let me just deal with verse 4. If you, if you have a, a printed version, you can go down to the very bottom part of the page wherever this story is, and you will see that there's something there uh, that gives you an indication um, as why verse 4 was not there. Let me tell you why this is the case. It doesn't take away... Some people have used this to say, well, this proves that the Bible's not true. It's not, it has nothing to do with the Bible being not true. So there are some manuscripts who came along, and a scribe obviously one day was trying to give some context as to why there was this belief in regard to the water being stirred and there was something. And so likely a scribe at one point in time wrote an explanation um, there as to why all these people gathered around. And, and verse 7 speaks about that. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And the man says, Lord, I, I, can't, I can't get in. I can't get in the water fast enough. I've got nobody here to help me. So he believed that there was some kind of supernatural healing connected with this. And so, so a scribe likely kind of gave some context. Well, later on, here's what happened. We found earlier New Testament manuscripts. So this was an older manuscript. A scribe put something. We found some earlier ones. It's not in there, which gave indication that later on, a scribe trying to frame kind of why all of this was going on and, to, and it was there. And so the earliest, most reliable New Testament manuscripts that we have do not have what we would say is verse 4 um, that's there. So anyway, I don't know if you find that fascinating or not, but that's the explanation that's there. And again, it doesn't take away anything uh, from the inspiration of the Scripture. So let's picture in your mind a pool. 150, 200 people who can't, can't speak, they can't walk, they can't use their arms, they can't see. Probably many who couldn't hear. I think this is just a sample of what John gives us here. Every day they are waiting in desperation for life change. Every day they are despairing because they can't get in the water fast enough. Every day they are believing that their only hope is found in the water that lays before them. Now, some of them likely live there on a consistent basis. Some of them are brought in the morning and picked up in the afternoon. Some of them may hop their way there. Some of them may be led there. Whatever the case is, day after day, this is what they did. They came to the pool of Bethesda, stared at the water, listened for the water, had people try to help them, laying on mats, trying to get into the water fast enough for healing. Now, let me say this. This happens a lot. In the world today, particularly around the church, this was not a biblical principle they were following. This was a man-made tradition that somebody had begun to tell, people had begun to tell it again, had begun to tell it again, and now it had become a part of, uh, of the religious life and philosophy um, of the Jews. It's not found in the Old Testament. There's not one prophet who, who God said, okay, tell the people, hang out by the pool of Bethesda, and occasionally I'm going to send an angel down. The angel's going to stir the water, and if somebody could get in the water, then they could be healed. This is not a biblical principle at all, and yet in the shadow of the temple and in the shadow of where the Word of God, the true Word of God, should have been taught, this Man-made superstition had become a part of the mindset of people over maybe 100, 150 years where they thought, okay, the hope for my life for healing is found in this water. The blind, just picture it as well. 
couldn't see the water be stirred, but would have to hear it or need somebody to help them. The deaf would have to stare because they couldn't hear the rush of the water if an angel touched it. The lame would have to rely on someone to quickly get them into the water. And the sick could only hope that they had enough energy to quickly get up and to be able to get into the water. It is a hopeless picture of people before water believing in something that was not true and that was not going to bring any healing. Now we are social distancing in our chairs. But originally, we would have chairs all over here, and we would have two services, and I would know where you sit, because we like to sit in the same places. Fars would be over here, okay? Verlanders are kind of about where y'all normally are, about there. So I know where everybody is, yeah. Van Dyke, y'all would be a little forward up. Likely, this was the case with these people. Every day they would come, they would be brought, you know, Probably from time to time, this section of the pool would have more water stirred, so you'd want to get in the best place right there. But then the next week, it would kind of be stirring over here. And so they would be vying for places to get at the pool, probably a little bickering if you got in my place. Okay, this is my place. And they would come, they would lay with their mats, and they would sit and they would stare at the table. It is a picture of a world full of spiritual sorrow and spiritual sickness. And it's a tragic picture. It's full of helpless people, Sin-filled people, sin-wounded people putting their faith in a religious superstition that could not help them. Here's what could help them. It hadn't happened yet, but when Christ died on the cross, that is the only way that you and I can find any kind of hope of healing, of purpose, and understanding um, how we ought to live our lives. And so I just want to say to the church this morning that the world is broken. Have you looked at the news this week? This world is broken. This country is desperately broken. Not only because of the virus, but, but because of all just the, the, the desire for a healing to come that, that's permanent and real. And so we lay before, let's just be real honest, there's a pool of political parties that people lay before and they stare at it and they think, okay, if, I could only, if we could only get the right political party in, then things will be fixed. Okay, if we could only fix our economic system, then this will be fixed. And we just stare at stuff all the time hoping for healing, but healing is only going to come by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only solution to the brokenness of our world. And so, so this group of people gathered around this pool, staring at it, hoping for an angel to stir the water, hoping that they could get into it quickly would be the only um, way that they could find um, a healing that would transform and change their lives. And I just want to say to us as the church, this world that is broken in which you, you and I live in, I want to remind us of what Jesus told the disciples in John chapter 4. Church, lift up your eyes and see that the world is ripe for harvest. That people are longing for answers, longing for people to speak into what is happening and taking place. Let's look at the third thing this morning, and it's the world's religions of brokenness. Psalm 115 and then one of the Psalms in, in the 130s speak about the idols and the gods of the world that they cannot see, they cannot speak, they cannot hear, they cannot move, they cannot do anything because they've been made by man's hand somewhere. 
And so I, I want to remind you and I today, as we see in the text here today, this is a man-made superstition. This is a man-made religion that has been established around the temple of Jerusalem. It has, again, nothing to do with the biblical principle. And yet everybody's gathered around it hoping that if they could get in, then healing would come. And so I want to remind you and I, of something I know we know to be true, is that man-made religions can never, ever bring about what mankind needs in their hearts. Only God can bring about the change that we need in our hearts. And I've had the privilege in my lifetime to travel all over the world to do mission work and to do a number of different things. And I thought this week about all the different things that I've seen on multiple continents and different things of, in regard to people seeking salvation. I've seen Buddhists in Asia lighting candles and spinning prayer wheels. I've watched the, and heard the chanting of Buddhist monks. I have been in the foothills of the Himalayas and I've seen uh, flags with Buddhist writings on them flying in the wind, hoping that the movement of these flags and the writings of Buddha would trickle its way out and, and to bring some tranquility among the people there. I've been in Rome when we lived in Europe, watching people crawl on their knees and their elbows up steps to an icon at the top of the stairs, hoping if they could just get to the icon and they could crawl properly up the stairs and with a penitent heart that when they got there, there would be healing there. I've walked through the streets of Germany when we lived there during Ramadan at the right hour and watched Muslims bring out their prayer rugs and face Mecca to pray. I've been in Cologne, Germany, watching Catholics reach through um, a fenced-off area at a casket made of gold that they say the bones of the wise men are in, trying to reach in, and if they could just somehow get close enough to it, it would bring healing. I've had Mormons knock on my door on their mission, thinking that as they're on their mission, they could do enough to earn salvation to get into the kingdom. And I've seen people in the American Evangelical Church think that water baptism or church membership is required for entrance in the kingdom of heaven. And so all over the world, there is philosophy about that's spiritual, but it's not biblical, and it cannot save. And I also want to say this. Sincerity, and you'll hear this today. I've heard it a lot in the last couple of months. Well, I, I believe this sincerely, and I, man, I, I believe it, and, I, and I'm sincere about it. Sincerity doesn't make anything true. I can sincerely want to punch Mark in the face if I get mad one day. It doesn't make it right. There's a lot of things we can believe in that with sincerity, but it doesn't make something true. And so these people are gathered around this pool, and they're sincere about their belief. But there's nothing about their sincerity that's going to bring about the healing and hope um, that comes, that only comes through Christ. And so sincerity of belief is not enough if it's not connected to Jesus Christ. Christ, and it brings us to the fourth thing, and it's this, as all of us are looking for a place to belong, these broken people day after day were brought to the pool of Bethesda. Day after day, they would gather together, they would know each other's names. This was a constant, consistent practice among all of them, and so this, this pool of misery, this pool of brokenness, this pool of longing for mercy and for God to do something or for, or for an angel to come and to stir the water, it brought about this community of people, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't grounded in God. There was no one looking for forgiveness that day. There was no one looking for Yahweh that day. There was 
nobody looking for Jesus that day. Jesus had already been at a feast in John chapter 12 in Jerusalem where he had done healing. Now he's back at this feast, but nobody's looking for him. I'm thinking if, you're, if you remember this guy that was here and he, does, he did these incredible healing, you would find where he was in Jerusalem and you would not bring your friend to the pool of Bethesda. You would bring your friend to the guy who touched bodies and spoke and brought healing. But nobody was looking for Jesus on that day. And this is the sad reality of our world is that we gather in the name of many, many things, but none of these things ultimately can fix our heart. And no one can help this guy and everyone looking for a place and these people looking for a place. And I just want to remind you and I this morning that the church is not a perfect place. You cannot find a perfect church. This is not a perfect church. There's not a perfect church in McKinney. And the reason there's not a perfect church in Collin County, McKinney, Prosper, wherever the case may be, is because the church is made up of what? Imperfect people who have imperfect leaders. And so... What becomes grand and beautiful about the church is this. is people who are broken like you and I who need a Savior to fix us. We have a commonality in that. Is that Jesus alone brings wholeness. And so that's why we come. We listen. We sing. We lift our hands. We pray. We encourage one another because we know that this world is incredibly broken and we need encouragement and we need reminder that our hope is not found in when we go out into the world and it just screams at us, man-made thinking is the hope and the answer. We are reminded every Sunday when we come that no, it's Jesus, 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 the blood of Jesus is our great hope and is the ultimate answer for us. So here's all of these people in Jerusalem. And what on appearance could look like one of the most depressing places, hundreds of people gathered around a pool waiting for an angel to come to stir the water. They belong there. It's a, it's a broken belonging that is there. But here's the good news. Jesus enters that day in the area of the pool of Bethesda, and he can make any place a blessed place and for all of these people they are waiting for the very same thing they're waiting for the moving of the water to bring about something that would make them new and make them whole and I believe that maybe some of us in the room today are like them we are broken and hurting people waiting for life to get better and maybe like these people we are confused where this can be found and I want to say this that peace In this troubled world, to our troubled hearts, it's found in the presence and the promises of Christ. And then somebody occasionally comes along and and has this great insightful wisdom, and they say something like this, well, time heals all wounds. Well, here's a man who for 38 years has been in the same condition. He's not been healed. Sometimes time doesn't heal things and actually we adjust over time if time was the answer then Christ wouldn't have had to come to the cross and all these cute little sayings that we have sometimes in the evangelical church about stuff point away from the cross I can only say this to us today this is where we have to fall we fall here every hope every answer For healing in our lives is found in what took place on the altar of the cross. And so we don't want to ever have something cute to say to people. We want want to point to the reality. 
And I, and I want to say this to all of us today. I've got good news that you've heard before. The Son of God loves everybody in this room today. His love is so pure and great that He loved us before the world was created. And He had a plan in place already, Ephesians 1.4, for He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. He had already made a decision that He was going to love broken people who didn't get it right and who needed Him. This plan was already in place. Jesus, therefore, is the cure for our condition. And so right in their midst, as they're staring at the pool of water, is the one walking amongst them who has the power to heal their lives. Look at verse 5 and 6 now. This is the fifth thing I want us to see. So we get a little insight. It's got this big mass, a group of people, and then we're going to zero in on one. So one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? So the first thing we learn about this man, he's got a paralysis of life. He's there. He's been this way for 38 years. To kind of frame the reference of what 38 years means, that's 456 consecutive months of no change. Stuck, can't walk, can't move. That's 13,680 days not being able to walk, no change. Not only is his life one of paralysis, but um, he's got, it's 38 years of frustration, discouragement, And I believe Jesus, and I know this to be true, Jesus knew the pain in this man's heart. And I believe that he knows our great disappointments, and I believe that he knows our great discouragements. And this is where, and he can, and he does, step into our lives to bring the healing that we need. So not only does the man have a paralysis of his life, but he also has a paralysis connected to sin. He is stuck in sin as well. He has a greater healing that he needs. Does he need healing in his body? Absolutely. But he has a greater need of healing that Jesus will talk about, and we'll look at that next week, and that's the healing of his sin. And so many people are looking for hope, but they live shackled by fear and, and shackled by this hopelessness that the deceiver, Satan, has convinced them that you can never be free from this. And I want to say today, yes, you can. There is the greatest hope connected to Jesus Christ. They won't have to st- we don't have to stay stuck in the reality of, of what our life may be. There is a hope in the midst of our life where freedom can come. And it's not too late. And I love what Jesus says here. Jesus asks him a question, and it may seem kind of silly to us. Why would you ask a man who for 456 consecutive months has not walked, whether or not he wants to walk, every day he's been coming to the pool of water, um, to get in so that he could be healing why would you ask him whether or not he wanted to be healed or not and sometimes christ and god ask us questions he never asks the questions because he needs information he doesn't need any information he's god but sometimes we're asked questions so that we would examine our own lives remember genesis chapter 3 man has sinned they're hiding in the bushes they hear god walking in the garden and god calls out to them Adam, Eve, where are you? He's not lost them. It's a question to them to say, do you know where you are? I know where you are. I know you're hiding. I'm God. But do you know where you are? And so, so I think this is a question to the man. Do you want to be healed? And I think sometimes in our lives, if we're not careful, we speak about wanting to change. 
but we really don't. I know through the years I've talked to a number of people and they come and they say, I, I want freedom from this addiction, I want freedom from this, this mindset or, or my anger that just seems to destroy the relationships that I, I have in my life and I, and, I, and I don't want it to be this way anymore. And so you give somebody counsel, okay, here's what you ought to do to help bring the freedom that you need to not do these things anymore, to find a way out of this circumstance. And some people have live the way they are for so long that the words of saying I want to change are just words that's not really because they want any change. The condition that they're in is all that they know and they've kind of become comfortable with it, don't really necessarily like it, but it's what they know. And I believe this is where in some ways this man had been. He had been this way for 38 years. 38 years. 38 years. Staring at water, no change. And even if he ever got into the water one time, he had remained the same. So I want to ask a personal question to everybody in the room this morning because I love you. Do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? Do I want to be well? Even if you're a believer, do we want to be well from the from the freedom of getting caught up and thinking that something outside of the cross is my hope. Because our great hope is in the cross of Christ for us. And are you and I waiting for the stirring of the water? And some kind of staring at something that man has made or some kind of superstition, whatever the case may be, you can stare at it until you breathe no more and no change is ever going to come to our lives it is only when we come to see that Jesus has done everything that you and I need. And I love this story. So I want you to picture again. Pool of water. 150, 200 invalids, blind, deaf people around this pool. Hundreds of people. And I want you to picture the beauty of the Son of God stepping into that place and stepping into the life of this man. There are lots of other people we could have talked to that day. Jesus did. But there's a unique reality. He went up to this one man and he said, Hey, hey, you who hasn't earned this healing, hasn't earned a right for me to talk to you. It's not, it doesn't have anything to do about healing It has or earning. It has everything to do with, I am a God of grace and I'm stepping into your life right now. Sir, do you want to be healed? Do you want your life to continue as it is? Or do you want healing and change to come? And I love the beauty of Jesus. Of all those hundreds of people that are there, He singles out this man and steps into his life and says, I can change you. I know you think that the water can change you. I know you're waiting on an angel, but I created the angels. And by the way, that story's not even true, but I can bring what you are longing for. I alone can do this in your life. And the beauty of being seen by God, and look what it says, and Jesus saw him lying there. Jesus saw him lying there. How many people had seen him lying there through the years? A bunch of people. And nobody had been able to help him. And when Jesus saw him lying there, the beauty of being known and being seen is incredible. He knew that he had already been there a long time. This man caught Jesus' eye in his heart, and I believe it's the same with us, and it's what the cross reveals, that he loves us. Now, I get made fun of a lot at my house. We have two dogs at our house. I'm a dog tolerator. I, I actually, 
I would say I love dogs, but I'm more of a tolerator um, of this, of animals. But I saw something this week uh, that made this dog tolerator cry. It's got big old tears dug in my eyes, and it kind of ran down my cheeks a little bit. And so I didn't want to... I didn't want anybody to see me, but I'm confessing it this morning to everyone, okay? I saw this little girl, the parents had taken her to an animal shelter, and they were going to let her pick out the dog that she wanted. And uh, she's walking through the place, looking at all the cute puppies and that have been, you know, strays that are found. And she comes to this one cage of this older dog that's got a crooked tail, cross-eyed, feisty behind the cage, and just... Not very beautiful and lovely, and this is the one that she wants. And her parents look at each other and they're like, what in the world? What's this going to be like bringing this dog home? And, and she just says these words. She just says, this is the one that I want because this is the one who most needs love. She saw the brokenness. She saw that no one was going to choose this been passed over and passed over and passed over. And I believe when Jesus stepped in Bethesda that day and he saw this man, it was like that tender heart of that little girl. This is the one who needs healing today. And I wonder if there's anybody in the room this morning that that's us. Oh, on the outside, we got it all together. And when people talk to us, oh, yeah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm great, great. But on the inside, we know that our marriage is crumbling. We know that some aspect of darkness has entered in our life and we've embraced it. And we, or we think, boy, I'm waiting for the one break and the one break's going to change my life and everything will be fixed. I'll become a better husband. I'll become a better wife, whatever the case may be. And we're looking at something other than the, what Christ can do in us. And I, I, I just want to remind you and I today, the beauty of the work of God is that the broken get chosen for rescue and healing. And aren't you thankful that he stopped one day in your life at the mat you were lying on to bring the healing that we needed in our lives to call us to Christ? And it's called the beauty of grace, of him giving us what we don't deserve. It's called the mercy of God. It's not giving us what we do deserve. And it's beautiful. And it, and it just demonstrates the incredible goodness of our God. All right, look at verse 7. Just a couple more things. So Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? And so the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Tragic words, sad words. I don't have anybody in my life who's here to help me. And I think sometimes in our lives, as long as we do something good for people, they like us to be around, but we don't have anything to offer anymore. Maybe they don't want us to be around anymore. And this guy doesn't have anybody in his life. He can't help anybody. He can't do anything. He has nobody in his life to help him get into the, into the water. And I want to remind you and I of something that is true about the world, and it's this. This world will never love you and I. It'll never love you and I but I can guarantee this, and I know this to be true, that Jesus Christ loves everybody in this room today. Everybody in this room today. And the offer of hope is connected with him. But the deceiver, Satan, wants to convince you and I that we're just stranded 
And we cannot be healed. We cannot be whole. We cannot be forgiven. We just have to live in our brokenness. And even in, if we have to live in our brokenness, that it's just devastating. But Paul learned something about brokenness, that you can actually live in brokenness. And there's an aspect of God's character and nature that's amazing. See, the tragedy of looking in, in the wrong place and for the wrong person will just keep us further and further away from Christ. And the immense truth of this text is, is that the pool became a place of the utmost danger and distraction where everybody there was longing for an angel to come to usher in hope instead of looking to an all-powerful Savior who could bring the hope that they need. And false hope always flows from a false belief and only leads life more empty and more in despair. And this colonnade of people that had been gathered there, um, of people who didn't know Christ, and they're longing for everything that is real and lasting, but it could only be found in Jesus himself. Have you been there? Are you there? Staring at something. But in the back of your mind, you hear today, hear these words say that he alone can bring what you and I need. And I look at our country today, and, and by the way, when we get home today, and you can turn on whichever station you want to turn on, our country is not going to be fixed after church today. And I'll tell you why. Our country is longing for mercy, but it cannot be found until you come to the person and the man of mercy, who is a God-man named Jesus Christ, and he alone can bring the healing. So as we wind this thing down, I want to ask all of us, including myself, this. What are you and I looking for today? What are we looking for today to bring the healing that we need? Are we longing for an angel Are we waiting for a break? Are we waiting for more money? Are we waiting for the right relationship? Are we waiting for the right perfect church situation to be fixed? This week I'll, I will have been married 32 years. And my marriage would be much better if my wife would get it together. Because I don't contribute to any of the problems that we ever have in our marriage. It's always her. But this, isn't this always our mindset? We don't want to take responsibility for what we contribute to the things in our, in our lives. It's always someone else. Well, if you would be different, or if you would do this, or if this situation would be different, or if I could, do you hear the man? If I could, I don't have anybody to help me get down here. People are better and quicker than me. The, the blind people beat me. You know, I mean, just, I can't get in. And he just, he's just like, I can't do anything. And Jesus is saying, I'm not asking you to, to get into the water. I'm asking you to look at me. I'm, I am asking you, do you want to be healed? Because I'm the one who can heal you. That has never healed anybody, and it can't. So are we waiting today in the room? What are we waiting for? And here's what you and I will come to find out. And I hope it doesn't take 38 years. We have this great inadequacy that we cannot fix ourselves. And we'll be like, just like the man. I have no one. Or we will say, 
while I am going down into the water, another one steps down before me. Well, in steps hope into Bethesda because with Christ there are never any hopeless situations. There are only people who have gotten to a place where they think everything seems hopeless, but when he steps in, nothing is hopeless, but everything actually becomes full of endless hope because of who he is. And while they're waiting for the stirring of the water, Jesus has been stirred to move in this man's life, to bring healing in his life. And the most amazing thing in the history of the world took place 2,000 years ago where a holy, righteous, eternal God came down and laid his life down for unholy people. And he took our sin and it was put on his body. And now in salvation, he took our sin, he takes his righteousness, and he gives his righteousness to unholy people greatest story that can ever be told that God loves people like you and I by the way every one of us are this man and you can come up to me and convince oh no I'm not I'm a moral person well no the Bible says we our hearts are deceitfully wicked we have no hope without him and the news of news is that Jesus says this get up Take your mat and go home. See, the authority of the power of his word is amazing. See, he speaks and a man with a withered hand just straightens out. He speaks and a nobleman's son who's near death lives. He speaks and fish rush to a net and fill up the net to where it's about to break. He speaks and a demon comes out. He speaks and leprosy is gone. He speaks and the deaf and the mute now speak. He speaks and the widow of Nain's son comes to life. He speaks and the storm is stilled. He speaks and after four days, Lazarus comes out of the tomb and he's speaking right now in the room today and he can transform the brokenness inside of us and to bring the healing that we need. And will you hear him today say, rise, rise. Now, Jesus didn't heal everybody on that day. And not everybody here gets healed. And here's how I would answer that question. Why? Why doesn't he heal everybody? Well, here's one way I'd answer it. There is a greater healing than physical healing, and it's called spiritual healing. It's called salvation. And it's the greater healing. And sometimes healing doesn't come. The Apostle Paul pleaded with the Lord three times. Paul had this physical thing going on in his body, and and he pleaded, God, will you take this from me? It's harassing me. It's this messenger of Satan. And God speaks to Paul, and here's what the text says, 2 Corinthians 12. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon my life. See, the authority of the word of God is to say this, get up, rise, take up your bed, don't go back. You don't have to come here tomorrow. One of the greatest things in this man's life was this. Guess what the next day meant? He didn't have to come there. You see, when Christ moves by his power 
and He transforms us and He brings the spiritual healing that you and I need. We don't have to go back to those pools anymore and stare at them and long for change to come because He's brought the change by the power and authority of who He is. And then He says this, He says, walk. Faith is about movement. This Greek word here says, um, take up your mat and walk means to walk about. Jesus wanted people to see that this man had been transformed and changed. All of the brokenness and hopelessness of 38 years, 456 months, 13,680 days like that was just gone. And right now in this room, the struggle and wrestling with whatever it is that we may be spiritually wrestling with, He can bring the freedom in our lives. He's been speaking for 42 minutes in this room today. He's the one who can change us. But do we want it? Do we want it? He offers it. And the goodness of God is amazing in this text. Last thing. I love this story. I think it's so beautiful. It just reminds us of the incredible love of God. We'll see next week. You know when the religious leaders saw this and they see this man walking around the temple? They don't think it's so beautiful. They, they're mad that Jesus has healed him because he's broken their rules by healing on the Sabbath. And so next week we're going to move from the beauty of the healing of this man to the ugliness of a religious system that has no idea about grace and no idea about love. And so we'll contrast those uh, next week. All right, let's pray.